morning, everybody. Thanks for, uh, thanks for, you know, just praying for good weather while I was here. Appreciate it. Glad you had the intercessory team wait, making sure that it was nice and balmy for this prairie guy to visit, right? But it feels like home. In more than one way, it feels like home, and I love that. Certainly feels like home in here. When people lift up Jesus, when the Spirit of God is present as we worship and praise, you know, that feels like home. And uh, I love it, and I'm so grateful that you have made room for God to move in your church. Amen. You know, we're, we're excited about what's ahead, even when we don't know exactly what's ahead. You know, and I, don't, I know that you're probably the kind of people that, even though we know God doesn't change his plan to a new plan every time January rolls around, I know that at the beginning of the year, we seek the Lord and we say, Lord, what's ahead for us? It's not that it's not that he's working on a 365-day cycle. It's just that there are seasons and rhythms where we go, Lord, it's, it, we're just checking in. Lord, what are you saying? What do you want to say to our church? And it's a good time to do it. And uh, I know that for me, I, I tend to tune out um, pretty much everything else in that season. I, don't, I, don't, I, I appreciate what God is saying to other people. But as a pastor, I want to hear what God's saying for my church. And so I'll just dig in and I'll say, I'm just, I'm not going to listen to anything else right now. I'm just going to dig in. I'm going to pray, dig into the word of God. And when you come, come out of that time and you're like, I believe this is what the Lord's saying to our church. Our prayer team is saying, this is what we feel the Lord is saying. You find out that the Lord's saying something similar often to people all over the world. And it's really cool and it's really exciting. But if you didn't know Jesus, probably be pretty freaky. Or if you're part of a church or, you know, if you're a Christian that's been coming to church that, that says, I do this because I think I should, but you don't have a real trust in who God is. You don't have a real faith in his power, or his ability. You might be freaked out by what's going on around you. But the church in this season, hey, this is our time to shine. I know I've heard you guys say it already that this is the time when the, when the world's looking and they're saying, what is solid here? Everything else is so shaky. Everything else is so fragile. Everything else is, is a little dangerous right now, but what's solid? What can we run to? What can we hold on to? There was a verse um, that I, I, I knew when I was growing up as a kid, and to this day, I'm, I always think about it. I pray about it. I even sing an old song that we used to sing in the 80s, uh, when I, and I'm not going to sing it for you, but you know, as soon as I say the verse, some of you are going to sing it in your heads, and that's a good thing. But the verse in Proverbs Chapter 18 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous will run to it, and they will be saved. And it's safe. The righteous runs into it is safe. Of course, when you learn it in the King James when you're a kid, you just always quote it in the King James. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The tower being something that you can look at, that you can, that you can see from far away. A strong tower means it's not, it's not fragile. It's not going to shake in a storm. It's not... It's not uh, going to blow away when the, when the big bad wolf comes. But the righteous will run to it. It makes me think of the fact that in our life, in my life, there's a whole bunch of things that I, I tend to run to when things get shaky. There are things in, in every single one of us that we think this is, this is what's solid. When, when, when everything kind of goes crazy, when my house starts to shake, I know this is going to be all right. I've got a, an uncle who used to live in, in California right along the fault line. And when you live along the fault line, listen, I live in Lloydminster. Nothing too crazy happens in Lloydminster. We're right on the Alberta-Saskatchewan border. There's no tidal waves. There's no, 
I mean, there's a tornado every five, six years that blows a guy's barn over. That's about it. It's not there's it's not hitting any big towers. There There's no earthquakes. There's no I mean, there's forest fires. Yeah, but we're not really a natural disaster zone. So I'm not looking for the places that that are going to hold weight in case of an earthquake. It's probably not going to happen in Lloydminster. But where my uncle lived. Oh, yeah, you better know this is the solid part. If everything starts to shake, this is where we go. The righteous run to a tower. Now, I, I typically, when we're back home, I love to dig into a passage, and let's get in this passage together. But this one verse, just for a minute, can we just stay on this one verse and think about what it means to have something in your life that you run to and you know you're safe? But it struck me not long ago that I thought, well, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. In fact, I was praying it through. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous will run to it and be safe. The righteous will run to it and be safe. I'm praying this through. I'm thinking about it. And it struck me that, you know, how how many times have I said that, not really thought about what it means for the name of the Lord to be the thing I run to. What does it mean to be safe in his name? What what is it about his name that makes me say I can run to that? Because in our culture today, a name is little more than a sound we make, right? It's just a sound we make when we want you to come or know we're talking to you. It's so funny that, that, that those of us that grew up speaking English, it's strange to us when someone has an English first name, like a name that is a word in English. You know, I, I mean, one, I pastor two churches, one in Lloydminster and one in Makwasagayagan. And Makwasagayagan is, is a Cree community. And so, you know, we've got people whose last name is Thunderchild, Crooked Neck, I, I led a guy to the Lord whose last name was Canna Potato, right? Cool name, huh? We got people who come from other countries to the church in Lloydminster, and, and they're, 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 their kids' names are Faith, Hope, and Love. Awesome names. And people who grew up in the prairies are like, well, that's strange. You named your kid a real, a real word? That's odd, you know? We're funny. The only names were a little uh, taken a a back buyer, the names that actually mean something to us in our language. My name is Jonathan. In Hebrew, that means gift of God. That's not weird to say, you know, my name's Jonathan. Hi, my name's Jonathan. But if I had introduced myself, hi, I'm gift, gift of God. <laughs> I'm God's gift to you. You'd be like, oh, that's a weird name. What's, what's wrong with your parents? Were they hippies or something? But Jonathan, you know, like if you were Hebrew, and you named your kid Gift of God, all his friends at school knew his name was Gift of God. It's not like, oh, Gift of God, what does that mean? They knew what it meant. But when you talk about the name of God, you talk about who he is. We have to realize something, that everything we base our faith on is based on who he is, and and, and more realistically, who he says he is. Because the Bible teaches us, I mean, specifically 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 I'm thinking of. The, the, the Scripture shows us over and over again that our intellect, our wisest scholars, could never get to who God was by our own thought. We could not figure him out. That, we don't have the bridge to get there. God had to reveal himself to humanity. You don't get to just decide. You know, you hear people say, well, I like to think God's like this. You can like to think that. I like to think that heaven is made of... Uh, Cotton candy. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to think it's 30 degrees outside, but it's not. What you like to think really has little effect on reality. So, you know, I'd like to think God is like this. Why do you like to think that? It's just 
I like to think that. That's the kind of God I want to serve. I, I want to serve the real God that actually exists. And I've learned, and hope you have too, and no offense, we're too dumb compared to him to figure out who he is based on our own imagination. So what God has done, because he is a God that wants to be known, he is a God that wants to be known. He's not a God that wants to be distant. I don't care what Bette Midler says. He's not from a distance watching you like a creepy peeping Tom. He is a God that wants to be known and you to know him. And so for thousands of years, he has been revealing himself to humanity. And he says, this is who I am. And every mistake that humanity has made is by forgetting who he is and who he says he is. Our faith, right? Faith begins with the voice of God. That's where faith comes from. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How do we have faith? God says, this is who I am. This is what I do. So we go, I believe that. I believe that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to that. I'll run to that. If you're talking about like the uh, Israelites who, who had seen the works of God and They'd seen the plagues against the Egyptians. They'd seen the miracles of provision. They'd seen God cause the angel of death to pass over them. God caused the bitter water to be made fresh. God caused water to come out of a rock. God feed them from uh, uh, food from the sky. God caused their enemies to fall before them, even though they were a bunch of slaves who didn't know how to fight. And then they get to the promised land, and they're afraid to go in. Ten spies are so focused on who they are. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. Where actually they said we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we are in theirs. They projected that on. I don't think they went around interviewing the Canaanites going, if you were to compare me to an insect, which one would you compare me to? I'd say a grasshopper. That's what I thought. That's what I was going to say. I was telling him grasshopper. He was like, no. Nah. I was like, yeah, grasshopper. No, they, they, they just see that in themselves. Two guys come back, Joshua and Caleb, and they say, everything you said about the giants is true. Because faith doesn't say there's no such thing as giants. In Jesus' name, giants don't exist. No, they, they exist. Your faith doesn't need to be denial. In fact, it shouldn't be denial. Faith is not about denial. It's about affirmation of who God is. It's about trust in who he is. It's about saying, this is bigger than that. And so Joshua and Caleb don't come back and say, giants aren't real. They say those are absolutely real. They're absolutely there. But if God has given us this land, those guys will be our prey. In Hebrew, the word they use is food. That'll be our food. The very thing you're afraid of is the very thing that's going to provide for you. The very thing you're afraid of is the very thing. He says this is, gonna, this is what God's going to, to, to do for us because if he wants us to go in, he'll take us in. And when Moses was doing the postmortem on the Israelites' unbelief, they turned down God. They walked away. If you look in the first couple chapters of Deuteronomy, Moses talks to them about why they couldn't go in. And he says, because you said in your tents, God hates us. So he brought us here to die. You see, God hears what you say in the car after church. He hears what you say to your spouse at home, what you're grumbling on your worst day. Because it's often the the things you're saying when you think no one's around that are the most truthful things, or not truthful in the sense of truth, like he sees truth, but the most realistic things, it really reveals your heart. And they say, God hates us, so he brought us here to die. That was the core of their problem. They didn't know who God was. 
They didn't believe who he said he was. He said, you are my firstborn. I'm going to be a father to you. But they still treat him like a slave master from Egypt. Because God hates us, he brought us here to die. Do you realize that your image of God, your reality of who he is, of who he says he is, is going to be the difference between you cowering and saying, I can't go in. Because this is a season, guys. This is a, this is a year, I'm convinced, where we're going to have to decide that, that, that what we believe is real enough that we're going to take a step of faith and walk into places that scare us sometimes or that freak us out or that shake us, but we know who God is and we know what he's promised, and we say, I can do that. I can go in. In fact, it's not about what I can do. It's about what he can do. He can do that. He can do that in this church. He can do this in my family. He can do this in me. So we go. You know, I think about that, that, that period of time between Egypt and the promised land and how God kept revealing himself through these different opportunities where they got to learn something new about God. This was so valuable at the wilderness. They got to learn new things about God. And so, you know, they learned something about him at Passover, but they learned something about him when they crossed the Red Sea, and they learned something about him when he provided water, and they learned something about him when Moses went out and God said, God showed him a specific tree to put in the bitter water. And when he put that tree, which was speaking forward, which reminds us of the cross, that, that tree in that water, the bitter water became fresh. They keep learning about God and he's revealing himself. And he says, this is what you can depend on me for. This is who I am. He says to Moses, I'm going to show you, I'm going to reveal myself by a name that even your fathers didn't know. You know, when we look through the scripture and we look at these names that God has shown his people, I want you to think about what that means, right? I know some of you have done studies on it. You know, you might have, you might have it on your wall somewhere, these different names that God calls himself. You know, in, in, um, when we read that in Proverbs, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. I, I think you might notice in my Bible, Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Because there's a couple different Hebrew words for Lord, right? There's the word Adonai, which means the boss. He's the guy in charge. But then there's the name of the Lord. We might pronounce it Yahweh. Sometimes we pronounce it Jehovah. Sometimes you take all the vowels out, Yid, Hey, Vod, Hey. Like you look at it. If you're a better Hebrew speaker than, than I, don't judge me today because I'm doing my best. For the sake of ease, we're just going to say Yahweh or Jehovah. But he says, this is a name. I'm going to show you a name even I, Abraham didn't know. And what does that mean when you tell someone, this is, this is what you can call me? Think about it. If you were a foster family and you were taking in kids, and you took in some kids who didn't have parents, and they come into your house and you take care of them, you give them a safe place. And they say, thank you, Mr. Smith. Thank you, Mr. Smith. Oh, you can call me Ralph. Okay, thank you, Ralph. But then there comes a point where, where you, you know you're supposed to adopt that kid. And you say to them, you know, they're like, Mr. Smith, that was great. And you go, don't, don't, you can call me if you want. You can call me dad. See, the moment you gave them that name of dad, of father, mother, you've changed the relationship, right? A name changes a relationship. You can call me dad means now I am, this is who I am to you. You can depend on me as a child depends on their father. That's who I am to you. And so when God says, you can call me father, 
It changes the relationship. There's ownership that's given. My son doesn't come to me every morning and says, you know, uh, Mr. Bounds, am I allowed to eat today? I say, well, Moses, if you do enough work, you can. If you earn your place, you can eat. No, he knows that's my dad, and my dad provides for me. I can depend on my dad. He knows that he knows that there's love included in that. He knows there's provision. He knows that there's protection. He knows that when when I when I call myself his father and he calls himself my son, that there is a relationship in that name, carried in that name. And so when God would give these names and say, Call me this, he's revealing another layer of himself and he's saying, You need to depend on me like this. This is who I am to you. And those names weren't cheaply won. Here in the Christian church in 2023, we, we, we know these things about God. We might sing these things about God. But what you know and what you sing doesn't mean anything until you start to believe these things about God. When I say, okay, all right, he's Jehovah Jireh. He's the Lord, my provider. Oh, it helps me to know that when Abraham, the very first time, in fact, the only time that, that name is used is when Abraham brings his son that God has said, you need to sacrifice Isaac before me. And he brings his son. He goes, there's no way God's going to kill my son because this is the promise. So he even says to his servant, he says, the boy and I are coming back. Brings him up. He doesn't know how God's going to do it. In fact, the New Testament says he believed in resurrection. So maybe he's like, God will raise him from the dead. I don't know how this is going to happen. But he brings his kid up, and he's like, <laughs> I'm just going to keep moving forward with this. And an angel stops him. And when he looks in the, 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 the thicket, he looks in the brush, he sees a ram that's caught. And he says, the Lord has provided a sacrifice. And he called God at that place, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. That name didn't just come because he's at home daydreaming about different things you could call God. It wasn't a cheap name. And what the beautiful thing about this, this heritage we've received, that Abraham is our father in the faith, that, that God says, God gives us the right, even though, hey, I didn't have to go through what Abraham went through. I, I didn't have to experience the, the trauma that he went through thinking he was going to have to kill his own son. And yet God says, you can call me that. What I was to Abraham, I will be to you. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm your God. When the Israelites are, are worried, like, <laughs> God, you really messed with the Egyptians. I mean, there was a lot of plagues. Are you going to do that to us? And he says, I will put no plague on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your healer. And from that moment, that's who he is. I'm the Lord that heals you. I bless your bread and I bless your water. I take sickness from the midst of you. And so now we have this revelation. What is revelation? It's something God uncovered for you. You couldn't get there by yourself. You couldn't figure that out by yourself. God said, this is who I am. Let me show you. The only truth about God that we can trust is what he's revealed to humanity. I, I, I used to work at a Christian bookstore. We won best in Canada right in Lloydminster. Come on. There we are. We were, we were the hot thing for a while before everybody stopped buying CDs and stuff. But I used to work at a Christian bookstore. And, uh, you know, you get to know all the pastors in town. You get to know most of the Christians in town. And there was a pastor that came in. And when I first met him, I introduced myself. I said, I'm Jonathan. He said, oh, it's nice to meet you, Jonathan. 
There's a weird thing that happens in my life. I don't know why. I don't know if I mumble at the end of my name, but I say, my name is Jonathan. And you know how you repeat somebody's name back to them when they say, this is, you know, you just introduce yourself. Jonathan, nice to meet you. I have a lot of people down to the pizza guy that go, John, nice to meet you. And I'm fine with John. I got friends that call me John. But I didn't say my name was John. I said my name was John, nothing. Do you think nothing is my last name? Like, what do you think? Did I, did I mumble? Did I trail off at the end? Is this a, is this a me problem? Because I'm noticing it a lot. Well, this guy gets my name right. Jonathan. Awesome. Sweet. Comes back. Jason. He calls me Jason. It's nice to, Jason, I need help finding a new Bible. What I should have done is right then go, oh, it's Jonathan. <laughs> Sorry, second time meeting Jonathan. But I didn't, and that was my mistake because now I'm Jason to this man. <laughs> right? And I'm working retail. You can't be a jerk. And I was young, and I wasn't as assertive as I might be now. So I'm Jason. All right, well, this is okay. It's just one guy. It's just one guy who happens to be a pastor in our community. But one guy... One day he brings in his kids. His whole family comes in. Nice little trail of ducklings coming behind him. He says, kids, he's so proud to show them the retail guy. You know, that's the guy you want to meet, right? You know, the guy that sells you music and Bibles and stuff. And he goes, kids, this is Jason. And I knew like this, if there was a moment, this was my other moment to go, oh, no, no, it's Jonathan, Jonathan, I'm Jonathan. I could have even done it that way. I could have said, my name's Jonathan. Good to meet you. I left it alone, and now a whole generation thinks I'm Jason. <laughs> a new generation thinks I'm Jason. Uh, I had to live with that. You know, that was my new name to these kids, and who knows what, you know, they don't remember me now probably, but, you know, if they did, you know, I'll tell their kids someday. There was a guy that sold me a Bible. His name was Jason. That just lives out there now. There's so much we think about God that comes from, from playing telephone, you know? I heard from this person that I heard from this person that that's what he's like. I, I've known people that were so convinced something was in the Bible, and then they find out it was never in the Bible. It was in an old song or an old book they read, and they go, well, you know, you know what the good book says? And you go, that, the good book does not say that. How do you run to a God you don't trust? How do you run to a name that's not steady? So how do I run to the name of the Lord? Well, we just talked about two names. He said, this is who I am. Because a name is not just the sound. A name is not just a phonetic group of letters. A name is everything you are, especially in, 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 in the time where the scripture was written. Your name was your reputation. Your name was your character. Your name was, was your authority. Your name was everything. And so we make, in, in, in our culture, we make the name just the sound we make when we call you. But in their culture, in their time, that the name, when you said, this is who I am, this is why the scripture says, I, a good name is worth more than, than most precious jewels, like a good name that people would know who you are. And how will the world know who God is if they don't see it in the church, if they don't see it in us? How will they know when to, where to run? Unless we're, like the Bible says, getting ourselves up on a high place and saying, here is your God. This is who he is. When he says in Ezekiel that, I'm going to build a temple amongst my people. 
and I will be amongst them. I'll be, I'll be in their midst. Then he says, I'm, I'm Jehovah that's with you. Uh, when he says in Jeremiah, my new covenant, I'm going to be the Lord, their righteousness. We get that name, Jehovah Tzitkenu, the Lord, my righteousness. We grab onto that. And there are times when you need that. Man, when I am sick, I need to know the Lord is my healer. That's, that's not just what he does. And this is, why, this is why this is so important. Because a name is who you are, not just what you do. Right? If I can convince God to be good to me, then I could convince God to be bad to me. If I can change his nature by my circumstance or how elegant or terrible my prayer is. See, if you're unsure of who God is, you won't really pray in faith. You won't pray with any expectation. You won't hold on to him for too long or too tight because you know what? Maybe he's not like that this week, right? If we just say, well, I serve a God who does heal or I serve a God who does save, or I serve a God who does deliver, and this is just something he does, but he doesn't necessarily always do that. He, that's not really his nature. He just kind of is a, is a Vegas God. You roll the dice and see what you get. Then, then how can I run in a day of trouble? Because I can't trust him any more than I could trust everything else. I don't know everything God's going to do. I, can't, I, I mean, there are things that are much higher, and so that's why we seek his will. That's why we say, Lord, show me your ways that I may walk with you. But there are some things that he's just straight up said, this is who I am. Know me. And when you know that, then that's when you say, it is shaky. I'm going to run to a tower. I have to run to this. And the Israelites' great mistake is that they did not run. They didn't trust that the God was who he said he was. A name means this is who I am, not just what I do. You can't change who God is. And that is the best news I've ever heard, <laughs> right? I can't change God. If I could change him to be better, I could change him to be worse. He can't get any better. He's perfect. I want you to read something with me in Isaiah chapter 9. Do you know, um, and maybe this will set you free, you can read Christmas chapters all year long. You're allowed to read this in March. Pastor Mike, am I okay? Pastor Brian, Pastor Adam, okay. Everybody says it's okay. Front row says it's good. We have snow, so I can still read Christmas stuff. You can read resurrection scriptures in September. You know, set yourself free here today. I love in Isaiah chapter 9 when Isaiah is prophesying to a king. really has very little to do at the moment with a Messiah. They're not thinking that way, but he begins to prophesy about something far beyond the immediate problem. Isaiah chapter 9, he says in verse 6, for, us, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord, of Yahweh, of hosts, will do this. His name will be called because it matters how you know Jesus. He's going to be called a wonderful counselor. Now, when we hear the word wonderful, wonderful counselor, that's not like a Yelp review. Like, he's a wonderful counselor. I'd go back. We're talking about 
wonder, what is a wonder? What's a sign and a wonder, all right? A sign points you to something. A wonder causes you, a wonder is something that is beyond your ability for your mind to grasp it. It's like you can't, you can't understand it. So that's why the early church, it says, was filled with a sense of awe. That's just a positive way of being freaked out, right? Like you're filled with a sense of awe. I don't know how he's doing it. I don't know what he's doing, but that's amazing. A wonder causes you to go, how did you do that? And there's a way to wonder in faith, and there's a way to wonder in doubt. There was a time where the, the, the disciples wondered at what God did, and it said it was because of their unbelief. But there are other times where God just is so amazing that we just wonder. It just goes so far beyond our mind. So when he says he's a wonderful counselor, another way to translate that is he is a counselor of wonders. He is going to speak to you about things that are too big for you to understand. He's going to show you ways you couldn't figure out. Who has the bright idea? Let's just cross through the red see who thinks that's a plan egyptian armies behind us red seas in front of us and someone raises their hand and goes we could go through it no we can't this is why we don't ask you anything we can't do that but god knows hey i'm gonna do this and the very thing you dread the very thing you fear that red sea the very thing you think is your death is actually going to be your deliverance wow i can go all right so this is why we don't tell God, this is what I want you to do. This is why we say, God, what are you going to do? We go to his word. We look at what he says. We go, I can believe that. When we don't know how he's going to do it, we say, Lord, I want to pray in the spirit. <laughs> Lord, I'm, I'm going to pray and trust. There are some things I'm going to watch and just be amazed. There are some things you need to show me so I can pray it through. But I know you are wonderful. You are beyond what I've imagined. You are better than I could have dreamed. So you are a wonderful counselor. You're going to counsel me, right? Why is it important that you know God that way? Because whether you know it or not, uh, often we have counselors we don't even think are counselors, right? A Google search is your first resort. What do I do right now? Or you put it on a social media and see what comes out there. You just put the fishing line out, see what you catch. And you're surprised when you catch like a boot. Instead of going to the wonderful counselor, you know what's so frustrating about a wonderful counselor? Is that he says things that are beyond my mind. Because I want to understand everything. Because if I understand everything, I can control it. I feel like I've got a sense of like control if I can understand it. If my mind can grasp it, you know, I got power here. But if I don't understand it, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm out of control. I don't like that feeling. I don't like the feeling of not getting it. Yet when you know who God is, I know he's my father. I, I know he's my redeemer. I know he's my savior. Remember what the angel said to Joseph, you will call his name Yeshua. You will call his name Jesus. What does that name mean in Hebrew? The Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. The angel said, you will call him Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. You're going to call him this because that's what he does. So when you call him wonderful counselor, thank God, that's what he does. When you call him mighty God, I mean, look, look, he's just been talking about these foreign armies that are going to come and try to oppress him. We know he's a mighty God. He, he said here in Isaiah 9, he is going to break the rod of their oppressor. He's going to remove the yoke of bondage. That's why I need a mighty God. That army's bigger than me. That force is bigger than me. Now he is a mighty God. He's going to break that off of my life. Thank God you need that today. We, we, our church in Loon Lake sits right between the reserve and the bar 
the town and the and the convenience store. And we have, for, for, for obvious reasons, we're like a highway where people that are already drunk are going to get more drunk and they go right through our parking lot. People that are hopelessly addicted go right through the parking lot. And I can't tell you the amount of times where God has drawn somebody in during a service and they're walking to the bar and instead they go, and they walk in our doors. And they sober up in the presence. I, so many times I can't even tell you. It hasn't always happened this way, but so many times they sober up in the presence of God, like God does something. But they're coming to me going, well, my grandfather was an addict, and my dad was an addict, and I'm an addict, and I, you know, I just can't stop this. And, and when you begin to, to show them who God is, not just who they are, who God is, and when they understand he's a mighty God, he can break this over my life. He, he's my deliverer. He's my savior. This is, this is who you're, I'm able to confidently say that, not because, well, this is a good church and we can help you, but this is a church that believes in a good God and he can help you and he will because that's who he is. And when they say he is the everlasting father, that might be odd because we know that Jesus was the son, right? And yet he showed us the heart of the father, didn't he? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Didn't he father those disciples? Didn't he show them what it was like to really be fathered? Don't you think in our generation more than maybe most throughout history, we need a father? He's a prince of peace. I mean, think about all the kids that are coming to us every day struck with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. And they think because the culture's told them that the way to peace is to just do whatever you want to do. And yet Jesus showed us that the way to peace was to be shepherded, right? To be ruled. Prince doesn't mean the son of the king. Prince means the ruler. He is the ruler of peace. How can you have peace until you have a ruler in your life? Jesus saw a group of people that were distressed and distraught like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them. They were distressed and distraught because they didn't have a shepherd. Psalm 23 tells us, when, when, the, when you follow the shepherd, the Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. When I follow the shepherd, he leads me to still waters. He leads me to quiet pastures. He makes me lie down. And you don't lie down until you feel safe. Who does this? My shepherd. The culture right now says, if you're your own boss, you'll be happy. But Jesus said, I don't do anything unless the Father says it. And the Bible tells us he was anointed with oil of gladness more than anybody else. See, what we're looking for is a shepherd. What we're looking for is a ruler. And that ruler is not us. So he's the prince of peace. There's no coincidence that it says when his government increases, peace increases. So here we are. Where do I run to? Because you know what? i got to be honest with you. I said that scripture over and over again growing up. I didn't really even think about what it meant. You know what I thought it meant? I say the name of Jesus. And thank God you can say the name of Jesus. But I want to ask you something. When you're watching a movie you shouldn't be watching, and they're using the Lord's name in vain over and over again, are demons quaking? Like when they go beep, beep, and they're using God's name like a swear word, are demons quaking? It's not the sound of it that makes them quake. It's what's behind it. It's what it means. 
And so when I say the name of Jesus, it's not just a random collection of vowels and consonants. When I say the name of Jesus, when you, when you call on the name of the Lord, you're, you're, you're saying, even if you barely know anything, I'm, I'm talking about people that barely know anything about God, but they know this, he saves. I know he can help me, and that's what they know. So when they call the name of the Lord, what they're calling on is a rescuer. What they're calling on is a deliverer. When you know who God is, and the more and more you, you get into his word, and you, and you listen to the word that's being preached, and, and you let God reveal himself as he reveals himself, you're going to have something solid to run to. And you're not just saying, well, we'll throw a prayer up to the sky, and we'll see what hits. You're saying, i got to hang on to this. I can, I'm, I'm, this is a tower in my life. We're not going to use that name in vain. What does vain mean? Useless, a waste, without power. Jesus said, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the traditions of men. He quotes from the Old Testament that says, they worship me in vain. Their hearts are far from me. Their lips are far from me. So how do I worship God in vain without power? How do I use the name of God in vain? He says, your hearts are far from me, so it's vain. One of the ways I can use God's name in vain is that my heart is removed from it. There's no affection for his name anymore. It means nothing to me. So it's vain. It's useless. Come on, if if you can just say, well, I'm going to hold on to that one thing. You said, Jehovah Tzitkanu, the Lord my righteousness. Well, I feel pretty unrighteous. I feel pretty condemned. And I'm having a hard time believing that his righteousness is my righteousness. Okay. Study on that. Dig into that. Lean into that. You're saying, I've been fighting chronic illness all my life, and I know that the Lord is my healer, but man, I want to be able to run to the fact that he's my healer and not just hope maybe it's true. Dig into that. Go into that. Let that, let that mean something to you. You know, when Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, the first thing he said to pray, he started it off with, the, with a name that you can count on, Father, our Father. Our Father, not just Jesus, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'm using King James again. Holy is your name. But really, in the Greek, it's a third-person imperative. So when we translate it, your name is holy, that's not a good translation. It's a third-person imperative, so the, what, it, it's a request. So the way it should be translated is, may your name be kept as holy. May your name be honored as holy. May your name be revered as holy. You're praying that people would see God's name as holy, as different. How can we pray that for anybody else? We don't first pray it for us. There's a tower we can run to in 2023. You know, you're, here in Ottawa, you're surrounded by beautiful buildings that have stood the test of time. In Lloydminster, we got buildings that are like 100 years old. We're like, well, that's an old building. We come out east, man, you guys got stuff that's like 400 years old. You go to Europe and they go, that's nothing. Those are baby buildings. Look at what we've got. When you look at these things, what, you, look, you begin to notice the patterns of what stands the test of time. At the beginning of the year, the Lord said to us, it's going to become real obvious what's real and what's fake. So you need to build what's going to last. Go back, focus on what you're building. What are you building? What foundation are you building on? What, what are you pouring into people? Because that's what's going to have to last. Because, you know, I, I don't mean to repeat what you've probably heard over and over again, but doing the church thing as a religious exercise is not going to have the power 
that the world needs right now. What the world needs are a people that know their God. Like it says in Daniel 11, that those, that even though Satan rises up, even though his power seems to be strong, those that know their God will be strong and will oppose him. One translation says those that know their God will be strong and do great exploits. They know their God. And so when you call on him, you know who you're calling on. You, you see a tower from far away. It is not a shack. It is not something that, that blows around in the wind and the wave. It is something that is secure. It stood the test of time. For thousands of years, God has been showing himself. And, and he gives you the right to say, I didn't, have to, I didn't have to fight for this like Moses did. When he stood over the Amalekites, held his hands up, and they won a battle. And after that battle, he says, the Lord is my banner. But he gave me that name and said, you can call me that. I'll be your banner too. Just like I was to Moses, so I will be with you. Man, can I hang on to that? The Lord is my provider, just like you were for Abraham. I didn't have to offer up my kid. But God said, I'm going to give that to you. I want you to know me this way. I've been revealing myself now. Know me. Those that know God will be strong. Those that don't know God will sit in their tents and go, I think maybe God hates me. I think maybe God hates me, so I'm not going to take any risks. I'm not going to step into what God, a church that doesn't know God. God will say, this is a time for stretching. This is a good time for to go. This is a time to move. And you go, mm, well, we, could, we could lose everything if we do that because you don't know God. When you know God, it's not about you. It's about him. Today, let's, let's, let's run to that name. I, I think it's the church that is meant we, we now bear the name of Jesus. Amen. We bear his name. We carry his name. We are those that are meant to show his name to the world. We're meant to exalt his name, to bless his name, to glorify his name. We're the ones meant to get on a high tower and say, here's God. And so the world is looking for a tower. They need to be looking at the church who's pointing to God and saying, here's your tower. This is your tower. Run to it. This is where we run to in day of trouble. Run with me. Let's run to it. I'd love for you to stand with me today. We're going to run to the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I've served the Lord uh, most of my life. I grew up in a pastor's family. I grew up with parents that lived out what they believed. I remember waking up in the middle of the night as a teenager, and I walked into, I was, I was in the basement. I could hear my dad upstairs. He didn't know anybody else was up, and he was singing and praying in the spirit. I remember it so impacted me because I thought, he really believes this. <laughs> like, this isn't a preacher game. He know, he, this is him. When they messed up, they'd repent. And when, when our life was shaken, we knew what to do. When my dad died, I was 22 years old. He was my mentor. He was my pastor. He was my father. I didn't know what to do. Our whole world was shaking. We had two churches without a pastor. My mom said to, to me and my sister, kids, we're going to run to the presence of God. We didn't know what to do, so we, she said, we're going to run to the presence of God. So we went. And we went where a, a group of, of, of people we knew and loved were having a conference. And we just said, let's go there. We don't know what to do, but we know, we know where to run to. I said to my mom, when, when my dad breathed his last breath, I remember that moment. Because I was looking at him. I saw him 
breathe his last, but my mom didn't. She was looking away, but the moment he stopped breathing, she couldn't hear it. There was no, it's not like the movies where the heart monitor just goes beep. But she knew something happened spiritually. She went like this. She said it felt like something, her heart was being ripped apart. And I turned to my mom and my sister and I said, you know what? Our God is a father to the fatherless. And we are not fatherless. He said he's a father to us. And he is a pastor to us. And he is a shepherd to us. And so we just, we just ran who God was. And it was at that set of meetings I, I came. I, you know, I had people in my life saying, you know, you, you get the graces on you to pastor that church. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be a pastor. That's not my call. I want to go live in the woods and write books or something. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to get in front of people and talk all the time. I, I don't want to, I'm not a pastor. I, I knew the cost of being a pastor. And if you know the cost of being a pastor without the love of being a pastor, the love for the people, the love for God, you won't, you won't take the cost, right? People won't pay the cost until they know the value. And so it was after that conference, I got so full up with God. I still didn't know what to do with my life, but I was so full up with the Spirit. There are things and answers I was looking for. I had questions. And there are answers you will only find in nearness. You know what I mean? Like if somebody asked me, I, there was a point where I had such peace about everything I'd asked. And if someone were to ask me, well, what are the answers God gave you? I don't know that I would have been able to explain it to them. Because it started here in the nearness of God. And I was coming back from that conference. I was on a flight from Edmonton, or from Houston to Edmonton, a red-eye flight. And I made my little pillow fort that I was going to sleep in because uh, I had the whole row to myself. And it was the bulkhead, so I had room for my feet. And I was just ready to go to sleep. And in that moment, my eyes opened. I saw a vision of the people God called me to. And my, I felt like my heart just got caught on a, uh, like, it, like it got pumped full of like three times as big as it was. And it actually almost hurt, but it felt so good because I felt a love for people. I felt a love for those people in Loon Lake that I'd never felt before. The love for the people in Lloydminster. A love for the people in some of the missions areas that we'd gone to. I felt the love and all of a sudden it made sense. This is why dad did what he did. And it all began with my mom being so steeped in who God was that in the moment of our greatest shaking in life, that was the worst thing that ever happened to me, by far. And in the moment of greatest shaking, we knew where to run to. If we didn't know who God was, we'd run away from God. This is what happens, right? People say, God, why'd you do this to me? God, why this happened? You hate me, don't you? They don't know. It's not God that did that. It's God that's healing you. It's God that's restoring you. It's God that's redeeming. It's God that's reviving. It's God that's building. It's, God, it's all of that. And so if you don't know who God is, you, you start to make up this theology of coping theology that'll keep you out of God's promise. But instead, you got to be people that know God. Even when you don't know anything else, you know God. Like Abraham, I don't know where I'm going. I know you. That's enough. I know your word. That's more than enough. I know your spirit. Oh, he confirms it. I am your child. Today, if there's anybody that right now you are in a time that the world would say it's a time of crisis. Just go into your turtle shell. <laughs> retreat. Maybe you feel the urge to retreat. Maybe every instinct in you says to run away. But you know because you've, this 
You've been taught the word. You, you know who God is. You know you've got to run to him. You know you've got to run to his name. Whether you're sick this morning, whether you are, are, are under the weight of condemnation and you need the reality that Jehovah is your righteousness. Whether you are, are saying, I, I, I don't know how we're going to get to next month. There are things we need to provision for we don't have. And you need to know Jehovah Jireh is your provider. Whether you're the one who's saying, I, 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 um, I, right now I feel very alone. And you need to know Jehovah amongst you. Emmanuel, God with you. That God is not just watching. He's with you. If you're feeling alone and you need to know God is with me right now, let's run to the name of God. And I want you to put that before the Lord right now. Let's run to his name. I want you to stop standing still. I want you to stop running away. And let's run to the name of the Lord. Lord, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ask or think or imagine. God, you're not just able, but you are willing. Because I know that you don't just do good. You are good. You don't just act like a father. You are my father. And today, if I feel like an orphan, I know I'm not an orphan. If I feel like I'm all alone, I know I'm not alone. If I feel like Hagar in the middle of the wilderness, I know I serve the God who sees me. I am seen by God. I am loved by God. I am saved by Him. And I'm going to choose not to, I'm not going to cope and self-medicate by going and just and trying to do the things that soothe me for a bit. I'm going to go to the Savior. I'm going to run to the fountain of life. Jesus said, I'm the living water. If anyone wants a drink, let them drink of me. So, Lord, I'm running to you and I'm drinking. I want you to receive that right now wherever you are. There is a healer. There is a savior. There is a redeemer. There is a God who counsels you. Maybe some of you are in the middle where you need, you need to make a major decision and you need to know that God is your wonderful, Jesus is your wonderful counselor. He's given you the Holy Spirit who will lead you and guide you into all truth. You're my counselor, Lord. You counsel me in ways that are beyond my understanding. Hang on to it. Run to it. Lord, I thank you that right now your people as they run, that your tower would be visible through the fog, that your tower would be visible through the blizzard. Lord, that they would see you. You're the banner over them. Lord, that their friends would see you, that their neighbors would see you, that they'd say there is a God here. There is a God in Ottawa. There is a God in Canada. There is a God we can run to. 